all of you here with us today. Amen. At this time, we will dismiss the youth, hyphen, etc., so they can gorge on donuts. There's never any left by the time we get down there for break. It's almost as if their bellies swell to fill whatever is there present. I'm okay. Not jealous. Not. I don't want donuts. <laughs> For the rest of us that remain, let's all stand. Amen. The Lord is present with us here today. Amen. And where He is, there is liberty. Where He is, anything can happen. Amen. I'm going to, going to ask each of us today to do our level best to expand our eyes of faith today. Amen. Our God is a great big God. He's capable of literally anything. Anything. Anything that you need. He can do. Praise God. And we stumble at that. We, we struggle with that sometimes. Because we're limited. We are finite. But He is not. He has no limitations whatsoever. Whatever it is we have need of, we can bring it to Him in prayer. And He is able and He's willing to take care of every need that we have. Praise God. We serve an awesome God today. Let's call out to Him today in prayer. Ask Him to bless this service, that His perfect will would be manifest in this place today. Jesus, You're an awesome God. I am so thankful for You. I am so thankful for Your so great salvation. Thank You, Jesus, for this opportunity You've afforded us today to enter into Your presence. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that Your perfect will would be manifest here today. That all of Your heart, all of Your mind would be made manifest in these services today. I pray, Lord Jesus, that You would rule and reign in this place. This is Your service. We are Your people. We submit ourselves wholly and completely to the will of God in this place. Thank You, Jesus, for this opportunity You've given us today. Minister to the needs represented in this place. Minister to every need. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would also in return minister unto You with our worship and with our praise and with our giving of thanks. Because, Lord Jesus, You are altogether worthy to receive all worship and all praise, all glory, all honor. You are worthy to receive our full attention this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. We delight ourselves in the Lord our God and we rejoice today in the God of our salvation. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I am so thankful for You and for Your so great salvation. I pray, Lord, that Your great and precious name would be glorified in our midst today. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Praise God. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. We do have some visitors with us this morning. I'll, I'll introduce them more formally during the second service. The Hoffmans. Brother and Sister Hoffman. Amen. Uh, from Brother Jacob's church. Amen. I had a conversation with him last night. Uh, what an awesome, awesome guy he is. Praise God. I love Brother Jacobs. Amen. If you have anything uh, that you need, any questions, please don't hesitate to let uh, someone know. Amen. Praise God. Last week, by way of review, uh, we talked about the parable of the talents. And we passed out a worksheet. Uh, hopefully, everyone has had a chance to fill out that worksheet. And, maybe more importantly, to consider what's on that worksheet. Uh to consider how we can use our gifts and talents for the kingdom of God. Amen. We saw in the, uh, the parable of the talents that servant that did not use his talent for his master. All he was worried about was not losing it. And we saw his reaction. The master's reaction was not very good. It was not good at all. God does give gifts and talents severally as He wills according to our abilities. Okay, he understands what we're capable of. We may think we do. Oh, I can't do that. There's no way I, I could be used in that area. Well, maybe God sees something different. And what He sees is true. What I see about myself is subjective. 
It's relative. And worst case scenario, my heart could be lying to me. Amen. But He gives talents as He will, and it doesn't matter how many or how few God gives you. That's not, that's not what matters. That's not what's in question. What matters is what I do with the talents God did give me. If He only gave me one talent, then folks, I need to be using that for His glory, for the kingdom of God, and, and be thankful. God has given me an opportunity to do this for Him. Amen. If He's given me many talents, well, praise God. You have that much more to do for the kingdom of God. God will not require of us anything that He has not given us. He is not going to ask me why I didn't sing lead parts in the choir. There's a reason for that. In His infinite wisdom, He has withheld that particular gift from me. Amen. For better or for worse. But He will ask me to give an account for the talents He did give me. Amen. When we can give an, a, a good account for the, the, the way that I've used my talents, there's joy in that. There's joy in service. When I can present to the Lord what I've done with the, the raw abilities, the talents He's given me. You've given me this. I've produced this. That's a great feeling. And that pleases our Master. Our daily devotionals. The first day, in the parable, uh, the master knew his servants' abilities because he observed them working. Now, as I said last week, uh, parables are kind of synonymous with uh, allegories, and they break down at some point. Uh, this is one area that it breaks down. Our master knows everything about us, whether we're working or not. Uh, he just knows everything, period. But... We do need to be working. We do need to be industrious. We do need to be serving our Master in the capacity that He's given us. And while He's observing us work, well, in business, for example, typically, if, if it's done properly, a manager will give a subordinate an increase of responsibility. And then they will observe that subordinate to see how they handle the responsibility. What is he doing with it? What is she doing with it? Are they able to handle the increase of responsibility? If so, there's probably a promotion here pretty soon. A pay raise. Sometimes it happens the opposite, though. You get the pay raise and the promotion first, and then you find out what all is involved with that. And sometimes that is okay. Other times it can lead to disaster. If they can't handle the increase in responsibility, well, then the manager knows they're not ready for that right now. Back it off. Go from there. In the kingdom of God, God rewards faithfulness with an increase in responsibility. Now, I understand that in today's day and age, responsibility is there's not four letters in it, but it is a four-letter word. It kind of is the other side of commitment. Yeah, commitment and responsibility. No one wants anything to do with either one of those. But folks, there was, a, there was a period of time in our history where, well, during that time period, it was mainly young men, but they strove to get as much responsibility as they could. Because that, the more responsibility I had, the more adult I was. That was one of the definitions of adulthood. Handling responsibility. And the more responsibility you can handle, the better off you are going to be. And that's still true today. That's still true today. The more responsibility you can handle, the better off you're going to be. Secularly and spiritually. In the kingdom of God, God rewards faithfulness with an increased responsibility. In our local church, as you are faithful in the things God has given you to do, 
He will promote you into greater and greater things. If you cannot be faithful in the things that God has given you to do, we ought not be too surprised if He doesn't increase our responsibilities. We'll see an increase in responsibility in our families, our communities, in spiritual warfare. How we handle that increased responsibility will determine whether or not God is able to promote us spiritually or no. Day two, don't compare yourself with someone who may be better than you at something or who can do more than you can. We know that that's a bad idea. We've heard it a thousand times, but we still do it. So one more reminder, stop. Stop doing that. That's dumb. Don't do dumb things. Okay? Is that fair? We don't want to do dumb things. Not, not in the kingdom of God. Don't compare yourselves among yourselves. Our standard is Jesus Christ. If you're going to compare yourself to anybody, compare yourself to Him. How are you measuring up there? Who cares if someone else is doing something better than you? Praise God. That's awesome. Rejoice with that individual. They're doing something for the kingdom of God. Conversely, if someone falls who had great ability, great talent, don't secretly inward rejoice because now I'm going to look better. That's, that's awful. We should be weeping over that because the kingdom of God is affected by that. Many people will be affected by that. Are some gifts more celebrated and desirable than others? It ought not be so, but I think so. I think there are some talents and abilities that are more celebrated, more desired than others. If you're a great singer, most people would rather be able to sing great than be able to fix a car real well. But both are necessary, folks. I don't know how to work on cars. A little. Trial and error. A lot of error. <clears throat> how do we look at the gifts that we've been given? Is it half empty or half full? It's perspective. Use what God has given you faithfully and God will prosper you. Again, God's not going to require you to sing in the choir, sing solos, if He hasn't given you a talent to sing. Okay? So don't worry about that. Use the talents He has given you. Be faithful in those, whatever they may be, and be thankful for it. Be thankful for it. God is des That's the gift that God gave you personally. He gift-wrapped it and He gave it to you. He thought of you when He gave that to you. How awesome is that? Use it faithfully. We all have abilities and advantages that others do not. The person that has the gift that you would really want, really desire, he can't do things you can do. So don't worry about it. Be faithful what God has given you. Day three, the master entrusted his servants with his money. The first two were faithful and diligent to increase his master's money. They were faithful and diligent to do that. And because of that, the Master rewarded them with greater responsibility. Hey, you were faithful in this, these few matters? Be ruler over many things. Be ruler over many cities. They were promoted because of their faithfulness and their diligence in the business the Master gave them to do. God will provide ample opportunity for everyone to use and to increase the talents He has given them. Amen. Some might be struggling. I don't know how I can use this for the kingdom of God. I promise you there's a way. God gave that gift, that talent to you. God will open opportunities to use that for His glory. Amen. Day four. The way people view God, I found this very interesting. Uh, they quoted some facts from the Journal of Religion and Health. The way people view God influences their mental health. When we view God as angry, vengeful, and unloving, it's difficult to believe He will protect, heal, and provide. So when viewed this way, social anxiety, paranoia, obsessional thinking, and uncontrollable compulsions run high. 
all of that is, is linked, according to these studies, by how people view God. On a neurological level, the brain perceives God as a threat. What an awful place to be there. And because of that, every mention of God, every church service, people are on edge. Fight or flight. But when we view God as a protector, defender, healer, as being merciful, that individual tends to have more self-control, is better able to manage strong emotions, can better handle stress. We see this exampled in the third servant. The third servant thought his master was harsh, reaping where he had not sown, gathering where he had not strawed. And because of how he viewed his master, he approached the opportunity that he was given. Here's a talent. Do something with it. He approached that opportunity with fear rather than faith. He wasn't thinking, how can I multiply this? He was thinking, how can I keep from losing it? That's a very different way to approach that opportunity. And that was how, because of how he viewed his master. We ought not view our master as being harsh, as being judgmental. He's not. He will be. He will be our judge one day. Don't, don't mistake me. But today, he's our Savior. Today, the door to the ark is still open. Amen. And whomsoever will can approach Him. Day 5, when bestowed with the responsibilities, resources, and opportunities, we must resist the temptation to hide or run away. Again, we need to accept the responsibility that God is desiring to give us and be faithful with that. And that's, that kind of falls hand in hand with authority. When God delegates authority to an individual, He doesn't do that so that they can look awesome and, and get all puffed up and and have people under him or her. He delegates his authority for a reason. It's, it's supposed to be used to advance the kingdom of God. It's supposed to be used to bless his people, to bless those around them, to, to enact, to enforce his will in this economy. In other words, that authority needs to be used. We ought not be afraid when God delegates a measure of authority to us or responsibility. Amen. Lesson today, Luke chapter 15 and verse 32. We are going to be discussing the, the parable of the prodigal son. For some reason that was very difficult. The prodigal son. We've heard many messages on this. Here's one more. Luke 15:32. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad for this. Thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Amen. Alex and his older sister were tired of all the unreasonable demands their parents made of them. The founding fathers of the United States promised Alex and Elisa life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But their parents demanded clean rooms, clean plates, and a curfew. The children were tired of tyranny. So one bright sunny day, they woke up early, packed a bag, and walked out of the house into freedom. They were pretty proud of themselves. When they reached the railroad tracks, less than half a mile away, they turned right onto the tracks and kept walking. This life would be the one they dreamed of. No parents telling them to do their chores. No teachers assigning homework. They were finally free to go anywhere. Meet anyone, do anything, except for one minor detail. They had little food and even less money. Alex was 10 years old. Alicia was 12. Aside from that, though, the world was theirs. They had not yet figured out how to get around truancy or child labor laws. They would worry about that when they needed to. While they walked, they heard an ATV start up the distance. The distant whir of the motor came closer. Someone was heading their way. They couldn't afford to be spotted. The runaways ran from the tracks down the hill and into a little cornfield. As the neighbor on the four-wheeler came closer, they tried to hide behind corn stalks. But neither Alex nor Alicia was that thin. The neighbor stopped on the tracks above them and bellowed, You kids better get out of that cornfield! 
Maybe he saw them. Maybe he was just trying to roust them out, but they were rookie runaways, so they didn't know what to do. They just knew they had been caught. So they secretly walked out of the cornfield and trudged back toward the tracks. They walked slower than a turtle climbing a down escalator. If they took their time, they would have had more time to think of an excuse, but their neighbor was not so thoughtful. He rubbed up his Honda and chased them as fast as their wobbly preteen legs would carry them. It's a wonder they did not trip and end up with train tracks on their faces and tire tracks on their backs. Their neighbor chased them all the way from the cornfield to their house to two waiting, worried parents. Amen. So, the prodigal son. Jesus tells a story here about a young man who didn't want to live at home anymore. He goes to his father one morning and says, Dad, I want my inheritance and I want it now. Now, I don't know what the younger son was expecting. Maybe he was expecting a, some disappointment in the father's eyes. Maybe he was expecting some kind of a negative reaction, a scolding, a talking to. We never called it a scolding at our house. We were going to have a discussion about wholesome family values. That's what we sat down and did. And they loved it when we brought out the family values. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever he got, what he definitely got was his inheritance. Bags and bags of shiny money. I can imagine the younger son's reaction when he saw all that money in one place. I'm free. I'm free to do whatever I want. He left. He left. The Bible says he went into a far country. And there, he spent all of his substance with riotous living. Uh, I can only imagine what that meant. Taverns, bars, brothels, whatever it might be. But who cares? I'm my own man now. I live by my own rules. Has anybody ever felt that? When I first left my parents' house, I was 18 and not a, well, a few days older. But uh, I got into the Army as fast as I could. That was my ticket out. I wanted out. I wanted to be my own man. Live by my own rules. So I joined the Army. What a moron. I mean, seriously, that was your plan, huh? Okay. Well, it didn't take me too long to figure out that there were even more rules now than there were before. I couldn't even have a soda pop. I had to earn that. I could have all the Mountain Dew I wanted at home. Ish. We figure out pretty quick that as soon as we leave home, we are saddled now with responsibilities that we never had before. Yes, we're free. I can stay up as late as I want now. No curfew. If I want to clean my room, I can. If I don't, I don't have to. But i got to pay for that room now. i got to pay for the food I'm eating. I can eat whatever I want, whenever I want. I want to skip supper and go straight to the dessert, I can do that. I got to pay for the dessert. I got to pay for the roof. I got to pay for the gas. I, I got to pay for everything. So it's not quite what I thought it would be. Our prodigal son, he had the time of his life. He had all the money he could have handled. And he bought Friends. Friends all over the place. More than he could count. Let's go do this. Yeah, okay. Are you buying? Sure. Okay, let's go. Until the money ran out. And then the friends who were there just as quick as could be were gone just as quick as could be.
It didn't take too long for him to figure out. This maybe isn't what I thought it would be. Everyone's gone. The money's gone. Now it's not so fun anymore. If I had unlimited wealth, it probably would be fun leaving home at 18. I'd just do whatever I want whenever I want. Not have to worry about anything. But when the unlimited wealth ran out, I got to go get a job. I got to go figure things out. How am I going to pay for a car? How am I going to pay for this? It adds up pretty quick. Reality slaps you in the side of the head sometimes. Why do you think the young man wanted to leave home so badly? What was so difficult, what was so heinous about home that he wanted to get out so desperately? I remember in my life, he probably felt constricted, hemmed in. Things I want to do. I got my life to live too, Dad. <clears throat> Later on, we realized those rules, they didn't hem us in. They didn't hinder us. They protected us. They're there for our protection. And within those boundaries, we're free to do whatever we want. We have freedom within those boundaries. It keeps things out that our parents don't want touching us. Sometimes it relates to who gets to be in charge. Parents think they ought to be in charge. Kids think they ought to be in charge. Who's right? Well, the Bible settles that fairly quickly for us. God delegates His authority in the home to the parents, not the children. That's why we get to be in charge. Because God said. When I was in the army, I got slapped with that reality. I did what I was supposed to do. Polished my boots, polished the floor, pressed my uniforms, the whole shebang. And I was not, I discovered in my four years that I was not a in-the-rear soldier. I was a field soldier. That's where I thrived. Then I didn't have to polish my boots. I didn't have to iron my uniform. I was in the field. We could get dusty and dirty, and that was okay. That was my element right there. That's where I thrived. We came back to the rear. I had to take a toothbrush and clean everything out. And get everything in the laundry, press it. I hated that. I would put that off until the last possible second. If we were having an inspection Thursday morning, Wednesday night at about 2 a.m., I started cleaning stuff. Yep, that was me. Because I hated it. <clears throat> I'd stay up till about 5, 6. So it was time to go to formation. <laughs> that was it. But in the field, that was that was that was my element. I loved that. So I was like, when I went to the E5 board, that was the epitome of in the rear. I had to have an immaculate uniform. I had to have immaculate boots, and I had to memorize all of this weird esoteric information, this trivia stuff. We had a statue of Iron Mike on, on base there at Fort Bragg. And I had to know a bunch of stuff about Iron Mike. I don't remember any of it because I crammed. Yep, 2 in the morning, I was cramming for that. <clears throat> and it was hideous for me. I hated it. So I was like, I can't do this. I got to get out. I got to get out. And, you know, no one... I would think after maybe four years, someone would have asked my opinion about something. But the first sergeant, he never once came up to my room, asked, hey, hey, Private Becker, how do you think I'm doing things? You got any, any advice for me? Not once. I can't prove it. 
But there were times I thought, I don't think my first sergeant cares about my opinion at all. I don't think he even cares what I think of him. I can't prove it. But I think that's true. The captain, never saw him once. He never consulted me about anything. So I had it. I was fed up. I, I want out of this thing. That was the reason I left. So I couldn't stand that stuff. Ignorant. I was ignorant. Why didn't they want my opinion? Well, it's obvious to me now. I had no experience. First sergeant, he was in his probably mid to late 30s. And he'd been in 15, 20 years. He'd seen a few things. He'd experienced a few things. With my two, three years, he already had all that. And a whole lot more. Nobody cared what I thought. Nobody cared when I came into the unit out of basic training. Hey, I got some ideas on how to do this stuff better. Shut it. You're going to do it this way. Okay. I had no experience. I had no wisdom. That was, that was 19, 20 years old. I was still brain dead. It, 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 it's almost a scientific fact. Guys develop a lot later than girls. It's about right around 25 their brain is fully developed. For better or for worse, guys, sorry. I mean, that's just the way it is. God made you that way. Not your fault. But just, you're going to be brain dead till about 25. Sorry. So I was brain dead. I thought I had all this stuff figured out. All lawful authority is God's. Okay, why do you get to make the rules? Why do you get to decide? Why did the captain get to decide and I didn't? Well, for other obvious reasons, experience, training, all of that. Uh, he had the authority to do that. I didn't. He was a captain. I was a private. Captain outranks private every day of the week. So he gets to call the shots. Not me. To whom God gives the responsibility, he also gives the authority. Okay, it's easy to trace chain of command this way, if that's something you're interested in. How do I determine who has the authority in this situation? All i got to do is figure out who's responsible for it. Who's responsible for it? Who's responsible to God for my children? You? Or me? Who's, who's going to stand before God and give an account? I am. And since I have the responsibility... I also have a commensurate level of authority to discharge those responsibilities. I am not going to stand before God and give an account for your house, for your children. Ergo, I have no authority in your house. You do. See how that works? Living in submission to God-given authority is a blessing. It is a blessing. It's a covering. It's a protection. Especially when that authority is living in submission to God. I always, not always, through hard lessons, God has uh, caused me to understand spiritual authority. But it was never more poignant to me than when I started pastoring. Because before, I had a, a very comfortable, immediate covering. And that covering was very accessible. I was accessible to Him. And so that was really nice. I still have a covering. But in many ways, it seems like the covering is quite a bit higher now. And there are times, I will admit, that I miss that close, tight covering. That protection. When someone else had the responsibility and not me. 
when I was living at home. I could do all kinds of stuff and it would be kind of excused with some discipline. I was just a child living under my dad's roof. If I did those things today, it wouldn't be so excusable. But living in submission to God-given authority is a blessing. It's a blessing. It's a protection. And if we look at it like that, that within the confines of these rules, for lack of a better word, precepts, judgments, commandments, testimonies that the Lord lays out for us in Scripture, when we operate within those confines, we have complete liberty. We have complete freedom. And we have complete protection. It's such a blessing living in submission to God's authority. The older son, he had a different problem. The younger son's problem was self-determination. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. And he was going to get that done. The older son's problem was self-righteousness. The younger son had an older brother who stayed at home. He appeared to be everything his younger brother was not. And while Junior ran away to spend his entire inheritance, the older brother remained at home to help his dad tend the farm. He appeared to be faithful, content, and loyal. The firstborn son appears to be the character in the story we should example. But he is not. After a while, a mudcake prodigal with slumped shoulders finally arrived back home. He had suffered the effects of living life on his own terms, outside the protection and provision of his father. As he and his thankful, tearful dad made their way back toward the house together, his dad called out to the servants to kill the fatted calf. Some of the more rhythmic servants grabbed tambourines, while some of the non-rhythmic servants just tried clapping on the right beat. This was the first time in a very long time they heard music in this house, but one family member was missing from the celebration. The older brother was still out in the field faithfully doing his chores when he heard the music. Soon he discovered the calf, the music, and the celebration were all to honor his baby brother who ran away but returned home. Verse by verse, Jesus revealed the hideous chink in the old brother's armor, self-righteousness. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. Verse 28. The older brother was enraged, ready to fight, but he was not ready to feast. He'd sleep under the corn stalks if he needed to. He was not going inside to celebrate his prodigal brother who misspent his inheritance on sin. The older son's whole relationship was built on work, not love. He served all those years. He worked his fingers to the bone, his hands to calluses, from sunup to sundown. Some would say from can see to can't see. He broke his back to make the farm all his dad wanted it to be. And on top of that, he never broke one of his father's commandments at any time. At least that's what he believed. This was wrong. He was right. Why didn't my father give me a party for just being faithful? While he stewed on his right to be bitter and angry, his dad put his arm around his shoulders, looked him in the eye, and answered, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost, and is found. The older brother had not spent one shiny shekel of his inheritance. His reward would come later, after his father died. Then his faithfulness and loyalty would be rewarded. Perhaps, the older brother thought, celebrating his younger brother's return would be the same as celebrating his sin. But it was not. It was celebrating, rather, the father's mercy. Now another question, why would someone have a difficult time rejoicing when someone is restored? Don't raise your hand, but maybe you can remember a time in your life where that happened. Hopefully not, but if you can, think about, why was it such a big deal to me? You know, Faithfulness, again, is not a very celebrated trait. We preach about it. We want it exampled. But when it's actually done, when it's carried out, no one seems to notice. No one seems to care. 
We celebrate the visitors. I haven't said anything about anyone else. I guess you just expect us to be here. Faithfulness, you know, we can get to the place where we believe people are taking that for granted. Nobody mentions it. Nobody seems to care. Faithfulness Faithfulness is beautiful. It's beautiful to me. I know it is to God. But when someone is... I don't even know where to start on this. Without faithfulness, there's nothing. There's nothing. Again, that brings in the word commitment. Can we commit to something? Can we be faithful to something? Most people today, when you ask them, are you free Thursday, 7 p.m. for whatever? The typical answer is, I don't know. Let me get back to you. Or maybe, or boy, I'm not sure. Is that true? I want to say, well, um, I got time if you want to look at your calendar. It's a yes or no question. No one's sure. No one's, no one's, they don't know. No one will commit to anything, it seems. When someone does commit, when someone is faithful, Folks, that is powerful. And if I don't always recognize it, please understand that I see it. But more importantly, who cares what I see and recognize? God sees it. He sees it, folks. And He's the one that's going to reward you because of it. He rewards faithfulness. Whatever I can reward you with, great, fantastic. But God rewards you with something. Folks, that's get me out of the way and let God do something. That's what all of us want. Let God reward you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to notice it whenever I can. And I love doing it. I love, I love mentioning faithfulness. I love rewarding people. I love bragging about people, talking them up. I can do that all day long, as long as I don't have to talk about myself. I'll talk about anybody else. That's great. But God notices, folks. God notices. And here's a scripture that came to mind when I was studying for this. And I want to comment a little bit about it. Luke 17, verse 7 through 10. When I first read this passage of scripture, it. Uh, well, I'm not going to be wholly transparent with you, but uh, I will be. I'll, I will speak freely. I was a little. This hit me a little bit hard. I was a little bit, maybe even miffed. It says this: But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meat? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me? till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he think that servant, doth he thank that servant, because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Now there is this element as well. Understanding our position in the kingdom of God. It's like no one... How many of you are or have been supervisors, managers, in charge of someone? Okay, so you're going to really relate to this. Your employee comes into work. They're supposed to be here at 8 o'clock. They get here at 8 o'clock. 
And they're like, uh, you're welcome. Oh, thank you so much for showing up on time today. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Does that sound normal or right? No, no, they're getting a paycheck, right? We just expect them to show up on time. We expect them to carry out their responsibilities. No thanks is necessary. It's free and, you know, nothing wrong with that. But, I mean, worst case scenario, I don't go up showing up to work expecting my boss to just be lavishing praise all over me because I was there on time. I just, I just expect that to happen. That's a standard. And in the kingdom of God, we are servants. We are His servants. And God most certainly does lavish gifts on us. He does reward us for everything that we give, everything that we do. But at the end of the day, folks, we ought not expect anything like that. We are unprofitable servants, doing that which was asked of us, required of us. Thank you for doing your job. Right? That's the attitude I've tried to internalize in my life. In church, out of church, uh, the reason I bring this up is If my attitude, if I approach every situation with the idea that I am a servant, I'm not going to be thanked for it. I don't need to be thanked for it. I'm just doing this to serve my master, to please him. If I get thanks, man, that's great. Fantastic. Who doesn't like a thank you? Everyone loves a thank you. Uh, Everyone likes to be recognized. And I love recognizing people. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, for me, If I'm never recognized, that's fine. My reward is in heaven. My reward is my service to Jesus Christ. I serve Him because I love Him. Not because I'm I'm looking for something. I'm not expecting a reward. I just want to please Him. I want to please Him. And how do I please Him? Obey His commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. The loving, forgiving Father. Interestingly, He allowed both of His sons to make their own decisions. Sometimes God allows things He does not approve of. I hope we all understand that. Why did God make this happen? Why did God allow this? Why did God cause that? I'm not going to say that all of those questions are without merit. Depending on the person's place and walk with God, etc. But they are questions that come out of people's mouths. Everyone blames God for everything. Everything bad. Everything good, well, that's my own ability. I did that. Something bad happens, God caused that. As my children get older, I understand more and more the intricacies of this fact. Most of my children are 18 or better now. And I can advise and I can instruct and and stuff like that, but their lives are their own now, for better or for worse. And if they make a decision I don't approve of, If they ask me, I'll tell them. I think that's a dumb idea. But if they don't ask them, well, I hope that works out for you. I'll be praying for you. I wouldn't make that decision. But uh, God, God allows people to make bad choices. They want to steal a gun and go rob a bank. He's not going to stop them. Probably. That's their choice to make. 
He's not going to stop us from making bad choices either. Probably. How do we know the will of God? If the answer to your prayer draws you closer to God, that's probably God's will. If it will push you further from God, probably isn't. So we can make decisions based on this. Will it draw me closer to God or will it pull me farther away from God? God's not going to pressure you to stay close to Him and He's not going to push you away. That's your choice to make. We make our own decisions. But as this story perfectly illustrates, we also have to live with the consequences of those decisions. Don't think... I mean, God can, certainly. Don't think that I can just go out here, put the mic down, just live a riotous life for a few years, and then come back to God. God forgives me, and He will, if I'm truly repentant, and expect everything to just be fine. I'll just pick the microphone back up and start preaching again. No! It don't work like that. There are consequences. God's forgiven me. People on death row, if they, if they convert, God forgives them. Absolutely. Those sins are gone. But they're still on death row. There's still consequences for what they did. Every choice that we make, every decision that we make has consequences, good or bad. And we need to, we need to weigh those out. And a good way to do that is, will it draw me closer to God? Or pull me farther away from God. Why do you think our Heavenly Father allows us to make decisions that might harm us? Why would He do that? Why would He allow my oldest son to make decisions that would harm him? Now, I could, I could punch him in the mouth, knock him out, tie him up then he wouldn't be able to make that decision. Is that really the right way to approach that, though? Most people would say no. That's probably not the best way to handle it. God could do that to us. He could punch us in the mouth, tie us up, make us obey. But he doesn't. We have his law. We have common sense, experience. We have the experience of others. We have all kinds of resources at our disposal if we will avail ourselves of them to make a proper choice. It was never His intention to force us to do anything. He created us to make decisions on our own. But He expected us to make decisions based on His laws, His precepts, His character. Our free will ought to be exercised in a manner that's guided by these things. We see the Father desires to restore both sons to a wholesome relationship with Him. There was a little bit of a disconnect in both sons. The younger son's sins were outward. Everyone could see them. Interestingly, the Father wanted to restore His son by giving him a fresh change of clothes, new shoes, a ring for his finger, a homecoming celebration. Things that people could see. The older son's sins were inward. Only the father could see them. The father wanted to restore his son by promising he would one day reward his faithfulness. This story demonstrates, of course, that all who wander can return home to their heavenly father. There are two groups of believers if you're into making these divisions, those who have walked away from God, those who have not. If you have walked away from God, you can come home. If you've walked away from God and have come home, then you know this to be true. You can return to God, receive the same grace-filled reception the prodigal son received. Amen. There is no limit to the mercies of God. And there is, no, there is no amount of evil or bad that I can do that supersedes the ability of God to forgive. 
anything that I've done, God can forgive. Wants to forgive. Died on a cross to forgive. Amen. Now, I'm not saying we should take that lightly, take it for granted. Uh, Absolutely not. We should weigh that as heavy in our lives as we possibly can. That He was on the cross because of me. That ought to sit somewhere in my spirit. I'm thankful for it. I know He did it out of love. But at some point, i got to realize I was responsible for that. And I can't take that lightly. I can't take that for granted. That I can just do whatever I want and then, forgive me, Jesus, thank you. Do whatever I want. Thank you for your forgiveness, Jesus. No. No, no, no. A thousand times no. But, if you do walk away from God, you can come home. You've not done too much or gone too far or been away too long. All who wander can return. If you've remained faithful in your walk with God, remain faithful. Don't stop being faithful. But in your faithfulness, if your heart is strayed and you're serving more out of a sense of duty or obligation than from a loving commitment to our Master, Folks, you can return to a right relationship there as well. We ought not ever serve God because we think we have to. You don't have to. You can make a choice right now. If you wanted to, walk out the door and never come back. Please don't. Please don't do that. But that is your choice to make. We should be here because we choose to, because we want to. We enjoy the presence of God. We want to receive from Him. We want to serve Him with our lives. That's why we should be here. This isn't duty. This isn't isn't obligation. If we are in that case, God wants to restore you and remind you that your reward may come later, but your reward will surely come. Amen. Again, having the understanding, having the idea in our hearts that I'm serving Him because I love Him. Not for a reward. A reward most certainly is coming. The Bible teaches that. It, it promises us promises us that. But I'm not serving Him for the loaves and fishes, folks. I stopped doing that a long time ago. I used to. When I was a new convert, I used to do that. I came because I had friends in church. I came, because, I came to prayer because after prayer we were going to hang out with my friends. Then I started coming to prayer because I really felt the presence of God powerfully. And I, I, I sought that experience. And I got scared and frightened when it, when it stopped happening all the time. But I don't serve Him for that anymore either. I enjoy it when it's there. But I serve Him because it pleases Him. And I love Him so much. And I want to do everything I can to serve Him with my life. Amen. Alex and Elisa made it home quicker than they'd hoped. They were home before they had time to build a believable excuse for running away from home. Their mom and dad were happy to have them home, but they were not willing to overlook this dangerous decision, and rightfully so. These children were not even teenagers yet, and they were wandering by themselves into the world. That afternoon, hugs gave way to a lecture and deserved discipline. A family talk about wholesome family values. When we return to the Father, we know He will run to meet us. He's looking for us. He'll hold us and welcome us home, but do not let the mercy of God be the license you hold to run away from God. Before you run off intending to return, remember, the prodigal son never regained what he gave away. He still carried the memories of his misspent inheritance. He bore scars in his mind and on his body that he lived with the rest of his days. Although the older brother remained at home, he still bore the memory of the day he told his dad how he really felt. Thankfully, our Father forgives our sins and will not remember them against us anymore. But our families and friends may have a difficult time forgetting what we have done or said to them out of self-righteousness, self-pity, etc. Let us live in a way to be closer to our Father and serve Him out of wholeheartedness uh, for who He is and for what He's done. Again, not out of a sense of duty or obligation, but out of a sense of love. Not out of a sense of fear. What am I going to lose? What is He not going to do in my life if I don't obey? But out of a sense of love, what can I do for Him? How can I serve Him? How can I please Him today? 
Amen. A life spent that way is a life truly lived. Amen. Let's all stand.